it's true what they say. There really is no business quite like show business. Unless you're living through a pandemic, in which case it means show business really is no business at all. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and happen to work in show business, our hearts go out to you and you may find a lot of content on today's show, therapeutic in a group counseling sort of sense. That said, I'm sure more than a majority of listeners to The Fiona Show are worried about how you're going to get through the next few years of transfer pricing documentation while facing gargantuan losses and the frantic overhaul of supply chains and new revenue streams, in which case hearing from a tax executive from one of the industries hardest hit by COVID, and you'd be harder pressed to find one harder hit than live performance, might be exactly what helps keep our focus on what's important in transfer pricing. Hello, everyone. I'm Matthew DeMello, host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions weekly transfer pricing news podcast. We are joined on today's show by Cynthia Hoffman, Vice President of Tax Planning and Compliance at Feld Entertainment. She's also going to be giving us a bird's eye view of what the ins and outs of transfer pricing look like from the senior management slash CFO level, which will also be very helpful for folks listening who are directly supervised at that level. One quick note on CPE credits. You can earn them just by listening to this podcast. We're going to plant three code words in this episode. Send all three to the Fiona show at xbs.ai. That's all one word. I'll repeat the Fiona show at xbs.ai and we will respond with your certificate. Now, without further ado, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. For our first stop, if you want to know where transfer pricing is heading in Brazil, the picture just got a lot more complicated. First, the Brazilian tax authority, that's Receita Federal, issued a joint invitation with the OECD asking for public contributions in researching how best to harmonize safe harbors in the country's current transfer pricing rules with OECD guidelines. It's a little odd, not just because who crowdsources transfer pricing legislation, but also because a December 2019 final assessment on the OECD overall OECD Brazil transfer pricing harmonization project concluded that safe harbors were actually the backbone of Brazil's ability to ensure simple procedures and greater legal certainty in their tax regime. But as the country pursues larger tax reforms that curtail all indirect taxes into a single one, things were bound to get awkward. Elsewhere in the government, lower House Speaker Rodrigo Maia shot down any possibility of supporting a digital services tax for the foreseeable future amid pressure to raise government revenue in the wake of coronavirus. Maia told the press, Brazil cannot, quote, enter this nightmare of creating taxes at every crisis, unquote. Meanwhile, at press time, legislators across the world told reporters that Speaker Maia can, quote, hold their caprinha. And speaking of digital service taxes, beleaguered rental unicorn Airbnb has come out in support of a global digital tax regime that is, quote, applied across borders and simple to comply with, unquote. Considering the intricate politics of the Pillar 1 and 2 proposals, to put it politely, it's hard to tell from Airbnb's announcement what specific policies they're getting behind, as none of them seem to imply simple compliance. 
Still, experts are calling the Airbnb coup a boon for bridging gaps between Europe and the United States on outstanding items throughout the DST debate. But as with many self-inflicting calls for higher taxes from profitable internet companies, this sort of predicates a game of whose good side are these people trying to get on today? But given how much Airbnb has taken a tsunami of losses and legal headaches amid the pandemic, I guess that makes the answer anyone and everyone's? In a world full of credit and debit cards, being that guy not having cash on hand isn't the personal faux pas that it used to be. But in macroeconomics, governments will just never be fans of multinationals skating by on the skin of their thin capitalizations. Which is why you can leave it to the ATO to bring out the arm's length standard to test whether multinationals are carrying around potentially crippling amounts of debt. Under new guidance released earlier this month, the maximum debt the ATO will allow is either the greatest of a safe harbor debt amount, or 60% of the M&E's assets, a worldwide gearing debt amount, or the amount in M&E's assets are financed by debt versus equity, or lastly, an arm's length debt amount. Now that last item might seem straightforward to transfer pricing folks, but it comes with two distinct tests. The first is called the borrower's test and asks how much debt an entity should reasonably be expected to have. The second, or the lender's test, asks if financial institutions should be reasonably expected to lend that amount if the lender and borrower are operating at, you guessed it, arm's length. But why three options? It gives leeway to industries like oil and gas that live and die on higher debt to asset ratios that would give other industries nightmares. Bottom line, unless your business is Texas tea, keep your Australian entities books filled with the other black gold. Ink, that is. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us on this week's Fiona show. A question we love to ask our transfer pricing expert guests is, how did you get started in transfer pricing? Well, I actually, I would say I fell into it quite literally. I was working in public accounting and I was asked to work on quite a few of our larger clients who had international operations and so um, the next thing I know, I'm part of the international tax team and uh, working with our you know, transfer pricing experts for my clients that uh, needed transfer pricing documentation. I recall that my, my first transfer pricing interview, set of interviews, took me into to Canada. And it was, I was very fascinated by what you really learned about my clients by listening to the transfer pricing 
information gathering phase. And so from there on, I ended up going into industry with one of my clients and have had a couple of other um, experiences with industry, with international operations. And so transfer pricing has always been a fascinating area to me, even though I don't exclusively practice in it. That's kind of how I fell into it. As we all often do, I can't tell you how many times uh, <laughs> when I ask that question, people are like, oh, it found me. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It finds you. But what would you say in, in your experience, in your proximity to transfer pricing, what are the biggest mistakes you see multinationals making over and over again? Well, I think probably not having a, a ro robust documentation or having contemporaneous documentation. And through you know my mix of working with corporations and working in public accounting for clients, that have international operations. I think for, especially years ago, this was just a, oh, well, we don't really need to spend all that time and money on our documentation. If it comes up or if we're audited, we'll, we'll put together something. So I think, you know, certainly that literally firsthand, I, I saw that with a, with a former client of mine, and then you're behind the eight ball to put proper documentation together. So, you know, one of the things, again, best practices is to always try to be on top of, of what's happening. And I think another mistake is not to, again, be robust and really looking at all facets of your, of your operations internationally to make sure that you've got the documentation for all transactions that should be documented and the, the documentation that meets the criteria of the location, you know, that you're doing operations in. Of course. You don't want to show them that big a hand, but you want to know that hand in and of yourself, right? Ex right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You should have that in your in your hip pocket ready to go. And then, and of course, as over the last several years now, we've seen a push by a lot of other jurisdictions just, you know, besides the United States in requiring documentation for transfer pricing and literally having you either check the box and sign, hey, yes, we have contemporaneous documentation or even, you know, filing documents with your tax returns that require you to show that you have the, the documentation and that you're operating at arm's length. Right, right. And a bit more personally, tell us about where you are right now and what's going on there in terms of COVID. Yeah, so I'm currently working for a private, a large private company in Florida with the COVID cases, of course, starting to rise, we went to working remotely, which as the head of the tax department, I, I saw that coming. So I made sure that my team was was ready uh, at any time that we were told, hey, everybody's working remotely now. And we're slowly, we've reopened the office, but again, it's with limited people coming into the office. Um, it's really right now up to the individuals, but COVID definitely impacted my company. We do live touring, we produce live shows. And so obviously right now there really aren't any live shows happening around the, around the world. And, and we do uh, shows all, all over the world. So it's been a big impact. And so we've had to scramble in, in our financial situation, you know, the all teams, it's all hands on deck to try to, you know, take a look at where we can save money, where we can get alternate revenue streams, which we've been able to do with, with some things. So it's been a big challenge and the tax department, it's been a big challenge for us. So my next question was going to be, tell us a little bit about your company, but if we can get a little bit more specific, what kind of live shows? So we produce family oriented shows. 
So families come to see our shows. They're a combination of anything from skating and other types of live entertainment for families. We also uh, have a, a segment of our brand that produces shows involving like monster trucks and other arena supercross and, and other um, shows like that. So it's obviously very heavily based on having a live audience, similar, you know, to concerts and, and things like that. You, you mentioned that you secure different revenue streams outside of live performances. What do those look like? So being able to do scripted shows that were taped and then broadcast on, you know, television and streaming medium. And also we have at our headquarters, two full-size rehearsal studios. And so we were able to find someone come in for some sporting events that needed, you know, no, no fans, but they still needed to play the sporting events. And so they're actually renting our space from us in order to play those games and of course put those on television. So that's, that was helpful. We also sell merchandise that is branded to our shows. So we've seen a, a bit of an uptick in our online sales of our merchandise since fans can't come to the shows. They're watching it either through the television or the streaming medium, but they're also still buying you know, merchandise. Right. I think I think that's kind of universal throughout the entertainment industry. Fans of means right now, gainfully employed, still doing well, feel uh, feel a certain responsibility to support the artists, the brands, the teams, the their sources of entertainment in, in these crazy times when when we can't go see shows and in, in, in sports and all uh, all things like that. But tell us a little bit about your role at the company in terms of transfer pricing. So I'm the vice president of tax. And so obviously the transfer pricing for control transactions falls under our umbrella. And I currently don't have anyone on my team that's a transfer pricing expert. And, and honestly, I wouldn't be able to support you know, a full-time position for that. So I have staff that are involved in the international operations that pull the information. Also, we in-house have done our functional analysis. And then we have the economic analysis prepared by cross-border solutions. So it's interesting though, having learned really transfer pricing by myself years earlier in my career, I, I pretty much just had to learn it myself, read, go to seminars, talk to people that were in the transfer pricing arena. And so I've been instrumental in training my team about transfer pricing. What's a controlled transaction? What are you know the different methodologies to use? I mean, so really being the, the trainer and mentor to get my team on board with understanding what it is we're doing and why we're doing it. Right. So how, how large is that overall tax department, even if you don't have one distinct person for transfer pricing? Well, prior to COVID, we had 10 and now we have less than 10. Yeah. So. Unfortunate, unfortunately. So that's been one of the biggest challenges with, with COVID is to try to still get all the work that we have to do. And even though, as I mentioned earlier, we are not currently touring, we still have to file tax returns. And we do a lot of the work in-house our, ourselves for our global filings. So it's been a challenge to keep up with, with those requirements and of course, like, you know, transfer pricing, hey, yeah, we're coming up to, to another year where, you know, we have to get documentation over to cross-border solutions in, in order to get our reports 
you know, completed. And, and so, yeah, that's been a bit of a challenge, but it's also been a good opportunity for a couple of my newer staff members to get involved in the transfer pricing. And I, and I did that so they could learn and, and, you know, see the whole process from start to finish. And in that way, you get a really great big picture view of the entire company, really, which is which is, uh, you know, tremendously educational for for younger folks or folks just at the beginning of their careers. Yeah, I I agree with that. And I I think that is the quickest way to really understand everything or every facet of of what the company is doing and also to engage with people in other functions. You know, as the tax department, you know, we a lot of times are only engaged with accounting or maybe treasury and we finance, but this is a good way to really get to know the people in operations and what they do, what their teams do. And I think that's that's one of the biggest pluses to me about learning transfer pricing for your particular company as you really get into those details and, and you get to form relationships with people outside of just that that kind of finance group. Oh, absolutely. And then that trickles over into other functions where, where that's so important, like R&D, being able to reach out to engineers, which is always the challenge of, of R&D as well. And for our first CPE code word, that code word is Dorothy, as in Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz, the character that made live performance legend Judy Garland famous. Sticking to transfer pricing, though, tell us about the countries where your company has entities. So we are the entity level. We are in about 20 different jurisdictions from an entity or PE perspective, from Asia to North America, South America, and Europe. We also have operational offices there as well. So it's pretty broad globally. And what's happening in terms of those operations from a transfer pricing perspective, those operations in those countries? Well, currently, because we don't have shows, we're we're trying to refigure our functional analysis for 2020 based on the fact that a lot of those jurisdictions, we had distribution functions, marketing functions, and then some management and production of local shows. So trying to, you know, figure out, well, if, if we're, we're using, a, you know, for example, a cost plus methodology, but there are no shows, we, we really should be looking at the global losses being shared by the, the foreign jurisdictions and what does that look like? So that's, that's going to be our challenge for 2020 and kind of rethinking the whole who's performing what functions for really what revenue streams. Mm, indeed. I, I think a lot of entertainment companies are indicative of what even larger sectors in the economy are going through with just having to either sustain protracted losses in, in some cases, or at least completely re-envision their business for the for the near future, um, or at least for the foreseeable future. In that way, um, is there anything you're even like mentally taking notes on it just to stay ahead of transfer pricing documentation going into next year? Obviously, staying on top of you know local country rules, but really thinking more about what are our competitors doing too. You know, I'm trying to you know kind of taking notes a little bit on that where I can get information. But but you're really just thinking about well, what is what is our story? I always think of the functional analysis as being you know you know you say story that it's a true story. It's you know what is really happening and and how do we put that all together globally so that we have a consistent we have consistent documentation from country to country. So I think, you know, really also 
reading and staying abreast of economic conditions in general um, for businesses operating in certain jurisdictions. So whether it's a complete, for example, Argentina, we have a subsidiary in Argentina. Argentina is on a complete lockdown um, versus some of the countries in Europe that are starting to come out of that. Um, so really just looking at the economic conditions to help, again, hopefully help back up our story when we're doing our, our functional analysis country by country. The interesting thing about even transfer pricing in any kind of, you know, global recession or, or global economic downturn, you know, pandemic aside, uh, as hard as that is to do, that story of how global economic hardship hit your company needs to be in your transfer pricing. Do you see signs from the tax authorities in the countries where you operate that they'll be receptive to the story you have to tell in, in the functional analysis and the documentation? Well, I, I don't know about that. Um, I, <laughs> I rely on, um, you know, our local advisors and, and I've started having a lot of those conversations. As I said, I'm looking really at how we document 2020 and, and the changes in the economic conditions. So just relying heavily on our local advisors on, you know, what they're hearing or seeing, you know, which, which certainly is, can be helpful for us when we understand what, you know, risks or challenges we might have in the future with the tax authorities. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. And interrupting briefly to give our listeners our second CPE code word, and that code word is Springsteen, as in no one should expect me, Matthew DeMello, to make code words in a podcast talking about the live performance industry without name dropping Bruce Springsteen. Thank you. And getting back on track to our conversation, Cynthia, with or without COVID, scrutiny has increased considerably over the last few years. How has your tax department adjusted to this? We have worked a, a lot more with our accounting and operations folks to to really make sure that we've got good and properly accounted for, you know, transactions. So expanding accounting system to get us information that's specific to the operations in a particular jurisdiction. So and again, trying to make sure that my partners in accounting and and, and in legal and the legal department treasury department, et cetera, understand the why of transfer pricing, why this is important that we do these things. And we can drill down to take a look at, you know, expenses or revenues and make sure that they're properly uh, accounted for. And, and those partners in accounting and legal, was there a particular area of focus that you worked on together? I, I would say 
just uh, you know documentation as to the intellectual property that's being used in in certain jurisdictions. You know, a lot of times there there's a maybe an agreement with a particular vendor that is applicable to multiple jurisdictions and saying, okay, how do we break apart those expenses to allocate properly to Argentina versus Brazil or or Peru or Chile or whatever. So because you know as a as a fairly large company, we a lot of times use a vendor that also supporting us in multiple jurisdictions. And have you been through any audit experiences when it comes to transfer pricing? I have in a prior position. So I guess knock on wood, I haven't in the current. <laughs> knock on wood. Um, and so I've I've gone through um, a couple of different ones, and it's interesting that you know you you think you've really documented what you're doing, and and you think it's it's solid, and then you have the auditor come in, and um, I know in one particular case it was the country to the north of us, Canada, and they tried to completely change the way that we were allocating expenses and and, and other things, and. I'll kind of tell a story because I always find it a little humorous. They actually came to our offices to interview. They gave me a list of of executives and other folks that they wanted to interview for the management fee allocation. And I said, fine, you know, I, I, I put together a list of these folks. And one by one, people came in and they explained the process that they did in order to support the tax department for the transfer pricing documentation and the management fee allocation. And every single one of the, the folks that they interviewed, you know, said, yeah, there's a process. Here's the process. Here's what I do. And they were supposed to be there for two days interviewing folks. And after lunch, the first day, the two Canada revenue agents said, um, well, thank you very much, but we're done. We're, we're, we're on the next flight back to, to Toronto. And we had no, and we had no adjustment. <laughs> oh very so interesting I, I, so i guess again you know going back to you know having having a robust um process having the folks that in operations and, and whatever understand what it is we're doing with controlled transaction and transfer pricing documentation so that they know you know what we're trying to do and they can be of, of help to you in putting together you know proper documentation we had a 12-year veteran of the CRA on the show, maybe only a handful of episodes ago, and he mentioned that when the CRA shows up, it's usually they have so much data, et cetera, et cetera, they know exactly what they're looking for. And this almost sounds like a story where the CRA came, didn't see at all what they were looking for, and then just kind of pulled their pants up for a lack of a better way of putting it and left. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, they probably thought they were going to come into a, to a company and start talking to these non-tax or non-finance people. And they, the people would say, well, I, I, I don't know what they do. I don't, you know, you know, we had a good process down that I put in place. And, and again, just educating your, your people and what you're doing and why. And so it was rather funny. I think that's probably one of the, my favorite stories of my entire career. <laughs> I, I think it's really indicative and I think it's it's definitely a teachable moment, especially for, uh, you know, maybe maybe folks out there who haven't dealt with the CRA yet. Did you have any idea what they were looking for specifically? I know you mentioned a little bit about functional analysis transactions. Um, yeah, I think, I, you know, they probably again, they were probably thinking that we just willy nilly pulled some. Uh, allocation percentage or something out of the air and, and said, yeah, you know, and instead 
you know, we actually went through and had quarterly questionnaires that we gave to the people we had identified in certain functional areas. And they would complete, annually, they would complete a larger questionnaire. But then quarterly, they basically had a little survey of, hey, has anything changed? If so what? You know, what, you know, things like that, where we were gathering on a quarterly basis information from the heads of very various functional areas. And those heads of the functional area would, in, would have, you know, several people on their team that would help us get the documentation together. So I, I think they never in a million years thought that head of IT would have any idea what we were either even gathering. Yeah. So very, very, I mean, that's a case in point for having such a good relationship with the other departments between tax department and everywhere else, for sure. And in open lines of communication. Right. Yep. Was that with another prior company? Yes. What was the, the fulcrum of, of that audit? What did it have to do with in terms of transfer pricing? Royalty rate. I've run into a royalty, royalty rate being a, yeah. you know, what is it? Is it 2% or 4% or somewhere in between or what? Right. So I think, unfortunately, there was a, there was a change in the rate at some point. And so it's like, okay, now you have to document again, what's your story? Why are you changing the rate? What, what happened functionally that caused you to, you know, raise or lower the rate. And so again, those, those changes, as long as things functionally are continuing on the same path, you know, you can kind of get away with, well, gee, same as last year, same as last year. Although again, you should have some more robust documentation around it. But when there's a change in function or, you know, something operationally, then, well, you've got to go back to square one and make sure that you've got your ducks in a row on your, your why, uh, why are also, it sounds like a major lesson there is staying abreast of also the regulations when things change in royalty rates that your story is keeping up with it. Yes. Yeah, true. Yes, exactly. What would you say is your biggest takeaway from your audit experiences? Making sure your 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 documentation is uh, agrees with all the other things that you filed. I mean, so, yeah, so that's a actually good question. I've, I've seen, a, you know, again, a client of mine who they were, the tax return said one thing that they were filing and then the documentation for transfer pricing said something else and, and the numbers didn't tie. And again, there has to be your, your holistic picture needs to all fall together. And also between say the United States and the Netherlands, your documentation needs to, to agree. I mean, the story needs to be the same. It can't be, well, we're doing this on this side of the board, we're doing this on this side of the board. No, all of your documentation needs to jive with the rest of the story, with your filings, with your, you know, of course, your accounting and what you're filing if you're if you're public. But I, I, I guess the main advice is is for all of that to be in a row and to make sure you've considered or thought about what it is that the audit authority is going to come in and, and really look for. Amen. Uh, you've had a lot of interesting tax experience. You, you've, you've spelled out a little bit for us within the course of the program at multinational companies. Uh, is there a experience that stands out the most for you? Okay, so I told you about the CRA, but I, I think, you know, this, this standout, again, I'm not a transfer pricing expert. And it, it's interesting when I think about my career, I actually know a lot about transfer pricing even though I'm, I'm not, you know, an expert in it. And, and it's just because I was interested in, in learning more and more about it. Again, teaching and training other people in your organization about it, 
I find really in the long run helps you. And so one of the things that I've implemented at the last couple of positions I've been in is I've teamed with the other financial areas of the company, the you know, treasury, IT, legal, accounting, and finance to set up lunch and learns. And we've one of the things that I've definitely done at these lunch and learns is have a topic of transfer pricing. Many, many people say, oh yeah, I've heard of that. What does that really mean? And they, they don't really understand. And, and when you get into why is it there and what does our company do to make sure that we have the right processes in place for controlled transactions, then, then people are like, oh, that's why we do this, or that's why you ask those things. So I think, but I would say probably the, the one of the most rewarding things for my career in the transfer pricing area is just making sure everybody in my organization understands what it is all the way up to the CEO even, so that I have help in doing my job with the transfer pricing. And just curious, Cynthia, what unique perspective do you feel you have with your transfer pricing experience as a tax vice president? I, I think helping or understanding operationally what, what all we're doing, what, what functions are done with people throughout the organization. I think that's that's probably the, the biggest thing that I that I bring. You know, really there wasn't a good robust process around any, any of this. Things were kind of willy, willy nilly. Again, I think my, my perspective in coming in was, you know, let's, let's start small, but we're, we're growing and growing in areas. And as we do that, we're making sure we put in the, the right processes and, and best practices to ensure that on a day-to-day basis that our transactions are properly captured and, and, and accounted for. So another thing that I think, you know, when you bring someone who has into the team that has some transfer pricing experience, my current employer, we're saving a lot of money because we have someone in-house who has some experience with transfer pricing. I mean, I certainly don't have the, the team or the expertise to do, again, the economic analysis piece. And I think that's best left to, to kind of the experts. But I'm sure that we would be paying a lot more money to a large firm if we didn't have any expertise in this at all and we kind of left it all to be outsourced. I also think that, again, making sure that not only does it transfer pricing documentation and the and our tax filings, they all, all agree and match up because we have someone in-house who's looking over everything. So I think that's another thing that I, I bring to the table. If you were going to give advice to another multinational company about transfer pricing, what would it be? Make sure you're paying attention to it. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, what, again, whether you have the, the in-house expertise or you don't, you know, make sure you've got your ducks in a row on it. And, and it's, it's one of those things that it costs money and yeah, but it's a, it's a compliance burden, but it can also doesn't have to just be a compliance focused tool. I mean, it can also be a planning tool. And so I, I think the biggest advice I give is no matter whether you're a large publicly traded company or you're a mom and pop shop who just started doing things internationally and you set up a subsidiary and all of a sudden you have transfer pricing issues, right? So you have to pay attention to it and, and not sweep it under the rug because the tax authorities are are looking for money. And this is an area that they know is is fraught with you know, potential adjustments. For sure. And what are your biggest concerns for the immediate future? 
I think just this impact on COVID and the and the global um, business impact that it's had on our company and how we we properly re- realign the the controlled transactions and and then you know and who knows how long this is going to be an impact you know I think we would all like to say it's going to go away in early 2021 when we get a vaccine but I think that, you know, the honest answer is I I don't you know we don't know especially with the industry that we're in in live entertainment how long are people going to come back you know and and what does that model look like does does it consist of some social distancing or you know how how is that how is that going to look. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp that's xbs.ai slash tp we now come to the part of the program that's my favorite this is a segment we call what we want to know we want to thank you for being on our program today this is a very fun short rapid fire round of questions mostly just kind of personal career questions but always question one is are you ready Sure. Excellent. Very enthusiastic. That's what we like to see. Question number two, name a management strategy that you use every day. Just being upbeat. And when I talk to my team, making sure that they understand that they're valued. Think of your favorite mentor. What did you learn from him or her? Uh, I can tell you exactly. I know who I'm thinking of. And I learned how to not only be um, effective from a technical perspective in a tax role, but also being a human being and stopping to really listen to the needs of uh, the folks that are around us. Fill in the blank. If I weren't a transfer pricing tax rock star, I'd be a blank. Oh, I'd be an actress. Oh, fun. That's a lot of fun. <laughs> my 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 fiance works in movies and she she threatens all the time to to leave and go into community theater. And that's where I started. So I'm constantly that, telling her, you should just quit yeah. being community theater. I do. I do community theater uh, awesome. for years and I, I, I love it. It's my kind of my, out, my it's, it's my outlet. And oh, yeah. Or later, I'm going to I'm going to quit my tax job and and get an agent and go out. But, you know, I know. <laughs> That's a huge joke, but hey, whatever. Yeah, yeah, uh, we we will make sure it's known as a joke on the show, but uh, very few things more artistically pure than community theater. Oh, I, I, I love it. Anyway, just interrupting very, very briefly to give listeners our third and final CPE code word. And that code word is Ali, as in Muhammad Ali. And if you don't know who that is, you are way too young to be listening to a podcast about transfer pricing. 
but that's just one person's humble opinion. Cynthia, new new fill in the blank. My favorite hobby is. I have a lot of hobbies, but I would say my favorite one is reading about history. Amen to that. I'm a big history buff as well. People define success in different ways. What's your definition? Feeling like I'm valued by the people that I work with every day. I love that. Cynthia, thank you so much for being with us on on the program today. I think this gave us a lot of perspective, especially from even like the next level up, how tax vice presidents, CFO level people think of transfer pricing. I think this has been really great. For everyone at home, thank you for listening. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you haven't already. If you have already but want more transfer pricing in your life, or at least on your mobile device, subscribe to our short-form sister podcast, The Fiona Show, hot off the press, for all of your transfer pricing headlines and reg change updates, all in under 10 minutes. My name is Matthew DeMello, and I've tricked the world's largest independent transfer pricing firm into letting me host, edit, and engineer their podcast. Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom writes our scripts. Stay safe out there, folks. Wear a mask, and maybe soon we can perform this show live once again in front of an audience. See you there. 